Here's how to get your friends to play the game of your choice. Just start a podcast, do a new episode every week for seven years, develop a tradition where we all make predictions for the year, and get the most predictions right. Welcome to Triple Click, where we bring the games to you. Today we are talking about Suicune 2, one of my favorite games of all time. But will it be one of Kirk and Maddie's favorite games of all time? I don't know. I guess we'll find out. I'm Jason Trier. I'm Kirk Hamilton. And I'm Maddie Myers. Hello. Hello, hey, my here friends. We are. It's Did us you guys again. watch the Super Bowl? No. Absolutely. I didn't not. really know. You know, I was going to go hang out and watch the commercials, <laughs> and then I wound up not doing that. Though I actually, one of the things I did instead of watching the Super Bowl was play the game that we're talking about on this episode. Actually, play ah, both okay. games that we're talking about on this episode. Oh, but yeah. Play mainly the, the main game of this episode. The game itself is very exciting. Um, I won a bunch <laughs> of money, which is good, but. Um, <laughs> That's really what's exciting about it is Jason's bets, Jason's <laughs> paid predictions, off. which also paid off to the plot of this episode. Yes, so my predictions and bets are very similar. Oh, um, more relevant to you two, the halftime show was like essentially designed for yeah. millennials, like for people I in their watch that, 30s and early 40s. I did watch that, or I watched I watched some clips of that. I watched the first yeah. part. It was fun. Eminem, cool. Dr. Trey, yeah, Snoop Dogg. Yeah. It was very yeah, much I, like, I saw the tweets about that, and I was like, all right, this is worth checking out. It was fun. It was like a bar mitzvah throwback, uh, <laughs> which is very funny. I feel like that's what you said about JLo's halftime show as well. Are all halftime shows kind that's of a bar mitzvah? Too. I think yeah, they well, are. I think well, it's just point... that all halftime shows are now appealing to people our age exactly. for music that was popular when they were old enough to have a bar mitzvah. Who had bar mitzvahs exactly. at age 13. So when we were growing then, up, when we yep. were younger, the halftime show was like like Correct. 70s music. It's so right. funny. It's always it like 20 like years or before. Whatever. Exactly. Yeah. The Blues Brothers, like Belushi and Aykroyd doing the Blues Brothers routine, like that sort of thing. But anyway. <laughs> well, um, welcome back to Super Bowl cast. Welcome back to <laughs> Talk about the halftime podcast, shows. Uh, the Triple Click NFL podcast. Hey, <laughs> did you know that we are entirely listener supported? We do not have ads. We do not have sponsorship. Um, all of our promotions on the show are just us being part of the Max Fun Network. We do not get money from that, but we do get support for the show from you, the listeners, and we're very appreciative of that. If you support the show, if you become a Max Fund member, not only do you get that fuzzy, warm feeling, a warm, fuzzy feeling inside that you make this show possible, you also get a mo- monthly bonus episode from us. You do. Including one that hit just this week, which is the three of us just totally going to town on Yellow Jackets, the new TV yeah. show. Uh, from show. Showtime, which is incredible, and we just like do a full-on Beans cast of it. We go get into deep spoilers, and it's our February bonus episode. Super fun. Really enjoyed that one. Um, I also compare every single member of the cast to a member of the cast from Lost, so that was fun. Really Great holds breakdown. up. It's a pretty good comparison. Yeah. It, does. it does. It does. And it so is. just a reminder, if you want to become a member, go to MaximumFun.org slash join. All right, on with the show. So today, we are doing a triple play of... Sweet Code Into. That's right. Hey. All your other favorite podcasts Yay. are talking about Horizon and Elden Ring and hot gaming news. And we are talking about a JRPG from 1998. Mm-hmm. So... A little bit of context here. The reason we are all playing this game is because we had a predictions bet that I won, and so I got to pick the triple-click game of 2022. We have all gotten up to the point where you get your castle just after recruiting a character named Shu and seeing the cutscenes that unfold there. So we will be spoiling up until that, including 
um, the cutscene that you get when you go and you talk to Victor at the bar and you learn about your main character's adopted father slash grandfather Genkaku. So we will be talking about that. Adoptive, actually. Adoptive, mm-hmm. that's true. Adoptive, um, yeah. You can't adopt your own grandfather. That's true. Well, I mean, it's I guess true. you could. I mean, I actually. guess you could, yeah. You could. You could, but that isn't the situation in this game. It's important to note it, that. Adoptive. Um, so this will be spoilers for the first uh, chunk of the game. And we will be getting into it. I'm very curious to hear what you both think. We've been talking about it a little bit, but we've saved most of our in-depth conversation for this podcast. And so what I want to do is I want us to each give our initial impressions um, in kind of the order of like positivity that I think we're going to go in. So I'm going to start and then Kirk and then How Maddie. do you know? How could you possibly <laughs> so, know? So I want to talk a little bit before I even throw it to you guys, because I do really want to hear what you think. I just want to talk a little bit about why I picked this game Mm. and what it means to me because playing this game like I haven't played this game through in a while and it just reignited some some fun memories and also some memories of the tedium of 1990s JRPGs but we can get to that but I think that this game especially for its time but even today there were really no games that were telling a story as impactful as this one and you guys are kind of seeing the beginnings of it it will obviously go on and on and get more complicated as the story goes on as the game goes on but um just the the depth of the storytelling and especially the relationship between the three main characters Ryu, Joey and Nanami was just not really something you saw at the time and it's fun that we played Final Fantasy 6 last year because that's a really interesting point of comparison where it's got a, an engaging story but like the character relationships are just not there and you combine that with all the other things I love about this game like the quirkiness and the weird humor and the animations and the recruiting and the castle building and the all the all the fun stuff that you guys are just like hitting the kind of like hitting the castle you really just start to get a taste of everything and so we'll get into that as well um, so yeah really Playing this game uh, just brought back a lot of fond memories and made me very happy. Um, I also. So, how old were you when you played it the first time? Just out of curiosity. Because um, you were like 10 for FF6, right? And Yeah, when... I was younger for FF6. Yeah, so it came out. Um, I played the first one just because I just stumbled upon it in Toys R Us in like 96 or 97. So the second one I was paying attention to on release date and like knew, oh man, this game is out today. Um, so I would have been 12 in 1999 when it came mm-hmm. to the US in the fall of 1999. Came out cool. a week before Final Fantasy VIII. So most mm-hmm. of the RPG world, most of the video game world, especially the RPG world, was going three. And so this was like one of the reasons it wasn't didn't get any attention um, back then is because it was like a rare 2D game and nobody wanted to play 2D games. Wasn't seen as cool, um, even though the graphics have aged much better than a lot of its its peers at the time. All right. I'm going to throw it to you guys. Kirk, why don't you give some initial impressions first? Yeah, I'll, I'll keep it kind of short just because I think we'll get into the particulars. But so I've this is a kind of an interesting one because I've played this exact chunk of the game one time before, this was back when Jason, you and I were both working together at Kotaku, and you had, it's been a bit of a, an inside joke between us. You've tried to get me to play it many times, and in fact, you successfully got me to play it once, and I played pretty much this exact amount. I think that you were like, well, at least play up till you get to the castle. And then I just sort of lost momentum and went and played something else. Didn't we stream it together or something? I have we played a little that. bit streaming, and then I played it on my own and Got played it. a lot more. But um, so I played this before, but it was a while ago, and it was sort of a different a different time. And I think that helped me um, appreciate the game more because I could separate it a little bit from the context in which I was playing it. Which I have to say, 
it is interesting playing these 90s JRPGs, but the fact that this is the second one in a row after last year, you and I tied the bet and we played through FF6, it does kind of, like, it's the same feeling of like, okay, I, I tried to play through some of it earlier, but now it's the weekend before the episode, and I'm trying to, like, really quickly get through this game, and it's not a... <laughs> It's homework. And it's, it's homework. it is kind of, and it's in the middle of this really exciting season for games. I'm like playing Horizon Forbidden West and playing Dying Light 2. Anyways, my point is that I am not holding that against the game because I don't think that's really the game's fault. That's just the circumstances under which I'm playing it. And I think this game, I mean, it's it really is just sort of a, a case study in all of the good and the bad, or the at least like interestingly compelling and the tedious and frustrating of games of this era. And um, I think it's a really interesting artifact. Like it, it is from an interesting time period. I think just like in, in movies, when movies were all moving to CG, and then you'll see those 90s, those like early mid 90s movies where they're still using like matte backdrops and lots of practical effects. And it's kind of the peak of that. And those movies actually hold up a little bit better than early CG. It's sort of the same thing with 3D and games like this, where it's really a beautiful looking game. Um, mm -hmm. And a sophisticated game narratively on one level, even while it's remarkably unsophisticated on the more surface dialogue level. Yeah, that it's it's hard to. Yeah, that's a hard one. We can get into that. The localization for this game is really mm -hmm. atrocious. There are a lot yeah. of just um, straight up errors. It's worth yes. saying. Yes. Oh, yeah. And it's like when you're kind of playing it and just being like, oh, my God, it's like I'm reading something that was written in crayon by eight year olds, mm -hmm. even though over time, this narrative that's unfolding is far beyond any eight year old and is actually very complex. So I've been finding that all very interesting. Um, the combat system doesn't do much for me. It's just another JRPG so far. I just am like, okay, whatever. I don't really care. And yeah, I mean, I've I've been I've been enjoying it and finding it interesting. And it really feels as though just now the point at which we've stopped is the point at which the true narrative and the real history, which is this game's strongest point, is just beginning to kind of show itself and, and unfold. So I'm looking forward to seeing what's next. Yeah, so what I'm curious to see is with both of you, if you ever get to the point where you want to play more and you're not just playing because we have to for this podcast. So I'm curious if you're like, if you get to the point where you're like, oh, I want to keep playing to see what happens in the story. I mean, I got to that point even over the weekend at a few places. Just I was like, well, I could play a little more Horizon. And I was like, no, I'll keep playing Sweet Coden just because I'm like kind of in a groove and, I've, and I'm making progress. And it, it was that same fun video game feeling. Mm -hmm. Maddie Myers, you're up. <laughs> Give us your unvarnished thoughts. Um, I loved it. It's my game of the year, nice. and I have no complaints. So I had a nightmare about this episode. <laughs> the nightmare was, I'm very anxious. I just want the listener to know that it's it's actually quite hard to look in, deep into Jason's eyes on, on the call and tell him that I don't like something that's this important to him. And to hear him say how much he loves the game and like he played it when he was 12, and, and I have to come in here and be like, well... I found it tedious. <laughs> Almost every single moment of it, I thought to myself, people like this. I don't, but other people do. <laughs> That's fascinating to me. And that is kind of how I've had to approach this assignment in a similar way to FF6, where I was mm -hmm. also like, I don't like this. Why don't I like it? And why might other people like it? And I was reading a lot of criticism of Final Fantasy VI and... I don't mean criticism like people saying they hated it. I mean, like, you know, the literary kind where people were like, mm -hmm. here's what's what works about it, and what doesn't. And I did the same thing for this game, read some long game fact threads of people arguing about it, in part because I just wanted to understand 
what people liked. And did you get spoiled? How did you avoid spoilers? A little bit. And honestly, Jason, it helped me because okay. the first five hours of this game were a really rough hang for me. Uh-huh. So I actually played the first 30 minutes twice because I lost my save. That sounds annoying, but it wasn't. It was probably helpful because I think the first 30 minutes of this game are kind of confusing. And I like read all the dialogue a few times and it took me a while to understand the betrayal that happens in the very first scene. And I feel like part of that is the clunky dialogue, which just ends up washing over me in a weird Uh way where like I have trouble even grabbing on to anything that's happening. And I feel like somewhere around hour six or so, I finally started being like, I think I know who each of the characters even are. (laughs) And like, I'm now finally seeing the names often enough that I get it. And some of that was me looking at wikis and being like, okay, this is so-and-so, this is so-and-so. And like, I don't play that many games that are this old. And I didn't play this kind of game when I was this age. I was, I was not, I was playing fighting games. I was playing stuff with sprites in it, but I wasn't playing, um, really long story games with sprites so i just i don't i don't like have practice mentally with like this kind of work that it takes to be like this is a tiny sprite but it represents a person and i need to remember all that and to me it's very hard for me to get past the idea that this is like a game for children which i know i struggled with this with final fantasy 6 too where i was like this is for children and there's like jokes for kids in here but then that would be juxtaposed with like really heavy stuff And this game does that, too, and I find that very strange. And, like, Kirk, I know you and I talked about, like, Tone Whiplash in FF6, and there were a lot of instances in Sweet Code 2 where I felt like a lot of that. But I'm I'm speaking too broadly. I After I got to, like, hour six or so, enough major plot machinations were happening that I was sort of willing to move forward and be like, I feel like I get who these characters are. I was also really helped by the fact that there's quite a funny scene when you're trying to sneak into Muse. And even though the translation's very clunky, those lines are funny enough where the characters are disguising themselves as the wrong ages and the guard doesn't mm-hmm. believe them. It's quite, it's like a classic bit. And I, I laughed at that and I was like, okay, like I'm finally getting on board with these three main characters, which then meant that when we finally got to Jowie betraying everybody, which by the way, I knew would happen, but I was more invested because I knew that because I was like, okay, at least this story's going to get good at some point. Like <laughs> I can't, I can't just go with these people if everyone's going to get along. I, I like needed to know that something was going to happen if that makes sense. I had to believe in that. And then when we got there, I was like, this is really cool. I like this scene and it it does some interesting stuff. I feel like I'm, I don't know how I'm going to feel about the rest of the game, but I remember having almost a similar experience with FF6 where we got to the opera scene. I think that was our first mark. And I was like, I really liked the opera scene. I feel like I really get who Tara is as a character and Celis and I really like them and I understand them. And even though there were weird parts of that game that I don't know why the fuck they were in there and I feel this way about Sweet Go to do as well, I can at least be like, all right, I see where the main plot is going and... I don't want to say that's enough for me, but like I'm stubborn enough that I'm I will complete my assignment. I will beat this game. I will learn the mysteries of Sweet Coden 2. I will collect all 108 Pokemon. I will write a rap song about every single one of them. It's gonna be great. <laughs> so okay. So this game this game does not really um 
uh, uh, give you a good taste of things. It really does a disservice to itself in the first few hours because even though it starts with a fun scene, like, oh my God, a betrayal. Mm-hmm. Um, like you said, Maddie, to your point, I think the localization, if there was ever, if Konami was decided to make video games again and no longer like chase gambling um, and they decided to remake this game or remaster this game with a new translation, I think it would really, really it would play well. It would help a lot. It would it help really would. a lot. Yes, yes. But um, yeah, after that scene and you you wind up at the Mercenary Fortress, you're like, who's going on? What's going on here? A little bit of context here is that if you play the first game, Flick and Victor are like significant characters in the first game. I looked that up too. And that helped me too, to be like, okay, I'm supposed to know who these guys are, which is why the game is lavishing so much time on their dialogue and their Mm -hmm. little one-liners with each other. Yeah, but you don't need to because they develop in this game too. So you wind up like, they wind up growing and you by the time you've gotten to your castle, you're like, oh, okay, these are good lieutenants. Sure, but it's like the feeling of seeing a cameo in a Marvel movie of someone you've never heard of where you're like, I can tell I'm supposed to know this guy and it feels kind of weird that I don't. That's how it feels when Victor and Flick show up. But then the game starts throwing chores at you and it's like literal chores, like go buy boots and clean up some- Clean the floor. some boxes and clean the floor <laughs> and the idea is that like it's supposed to be setting up so that you can use all these items like collect these items and then like joey is is reveals his tactical oh do you pronounce it joey okay i say yeah, joey whatever it is even in the game vocalization is so bad that throughout the game it'll change from j-o-w-y to j-o-e-i and like just be interchangeable oh, sometimes really but anyway yeah wow. so it's joey tribbiani yeah. Great. So that Joey, really changes how I feel about the game. You're Chandler and Joey. Way. I should have named my protagonist Chandler. We are friends. TM. Um, there's a reason for that. And the reason you do all that is because like it's supposed to show how much of a tactical genius Joey is. He's like this masterful genius dude who like figures out just with a dirty rag and and like um, a flint that you can escape this this mercenary fortress. But still in 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 practice, it's just a lot of like roaming around, not having a world map, so you don't even know where you're you, you're going. You don't have anything, don't know where the towns are in relation to each other. Um, just wandering, and then the thing that Kirk ran into was extremely tedious yeah. and frustrating, where you don't even know why Palika hasn't shown up, and you don't even know how to trigger this next. Who's story like a moment. major character? Like you. Well, it's you a have it's to... a trigger. It's a story yeah. trigger that sometimes JRPGs. One of the big problems with JRPGs back then is that like story triggers could be esoteric and you might not know what's going to trigger this next story and yeah really you don't get a sense of the political like stakes here and really what the whole story is going to be about until you get to Muse and you see that amazing Mm -hmm. scene on Jousting Hill where all the the leaders are arguing with with each other and you really start to see oh there's a lot of depth here there's a lot of interesting politics here and so yeah I do think that this game like many other games uh, just has a, a, a slow beginning and that really takes away from it and burns a lot of people out loses a lot of people mm-hmm. yeah I think that's an issue the first hours like the fact that I'd played it before made those go down smoother just because sure. understanding that it's basically you need to know that Highland and Jouston are the two important political entities but then also understanding that Jouston is a city-state, or is a collection of city-states governed, I guess, from the seat in Muse, and that it's these other places that, you know, we're going to visit and go and that you can see on the map. And I've got, I mean, a world map open in my browser along with a walkthrough and all this other stuff, and I'm really, like, taking the game apart almost while I play it and had played it before. That made it all make a little bit more sense and hold together a little bit better. But, yeah, I mean, 
FF6 had this a little bit, but this game has it a lot more, where it's like watching children who've had the plot of Shakespeare explained to them then just try to put on Shakespeare. And so they're like, I, I'm Hamlet. You killed him. You're bad. You know, it just it has this feeling of like the dialogue <laughs> yeah. is so messed up because the localization is so really terrible. And yeah. as a result... There are quite a few cliches as well. I, I mean, this is... This is a part where I feel like I'm going to break your heart, Jason. I, I know there are some really cool political machinations in that scene where everybody's around the table, but there a lot of these characters are really one note. And I, I get it. Like, maybe they'll change later. Wait, but which like, characters are you talking about? Okay, let's talk about Nanami. Nanami is basically every, like, tough girl to be contrasted with every other super feminine woman in this game. But deep down, she really just wants to be told she's beautiful. But she's tough and she doesn't look beautiful. And, like, okay, like, I've seen Slayers. I've seen Lena Inverse. Like, I, I've seen anime before. Like, I know what I'm looking at here. And, like... The princess who's um, Luca Blight's sister, like, I I did look up some of the spoilers for her plotline, which I'm sure we could talk about in a future episode, and I just was already like, okay, like, there's so much, <laughs> like, the way that the female characters are treated in this game is, is a pretty rough hang for me so far, and yeah. I don't know if it's going to get that much better, and, like, Annabelle's probably the coolest character that we meet in the game, and then she gets murdered, and I was like, God damn it, like, I thought she was so badass, and, well, like... Well, she was willing to use child soldiers, that that was kind of a yeah, mark against her. Yeah, that was bad, <laughs> and also, much like every other tough gal, she, deep down, really just wants Victor to love her on up and treat her like a real lady like that is such a trope of the 90s and i i feel like games have and a lot of media has gotten past it now but like it's really a time capsule plus like ryu as the player character i feel like he's also like very tropey in the sense that like he doesn't have a personality at all like i showed i like jokingly tweeted at you that screenshot from the dracula fight where his two dialogue options in response to nanami saying let's destroy him like let's destroy dracula he can either enthusiastically say yeah or he can say say like how dare you talk back to me like that and it's like who is this guy like he's either like the biggest asshole ever or he's like really nice i mean you're also describing commander shepherd like that i i don't really think that's, no way. that's like a video game protagonist <laughs> i don't know thing. man no i'm no, not no, no. commander shepherd is not that binary ryu is i mean i call i'm calling him ryu you can name him whatever you want these choices are so simplistic and i get i get that this is like an early example of stuff that will be cooler in other games later but it is like going from chess to checkers for me so First of all, be careful because oftentimes the choices are like don't mean anything and it's just like dialogue, simple dialogue choices like that. But sometimes, like, especially later on, some choices yeah. like actually people branch out the plot. People can die. Well, but that stresses me out too. <laughs> no, people can't. Well, people can die in battles. No, people will only yeah. die in army battles, only in the army battles. That's a whole other thing. Um, yeah. Maddie, I don't think this game i don't know nanami you might change your mind on and i think you will um I based mean, on how she's developed later but i don't think this game will uh uh please you with how it handles female characters because it's not good at handling female characters i mean jow is interesting i again this is why i was like thank god somebody changes somebody subverts my expectations in this game like jow betrayal i'm here for it 
you know? So there's a read on this game that might help you appreciate it, which is that Ryu and Joey are lovers. Yes. Um, and I, I think ship that, them right away. <laughs> yeah. And I think that if you play the game with that framing, you might appreciate it, it more, Manny. Um, I don't. Yeah. I mean, straight up, like, it's not like, and it also doesn't handle race well. There's like one. Mm-hmm. There are like three black characters in the game. One of them is like a Jamaican stereotype werewolf dude. So there's yeah. a lot of stuff in this game that is like, you no, know, excusing it. That from that perspective, yes, there's a lot of problems. But I do think that there's there's more depth unveiled. Like we are only yeah. talking about twenty five percent of a story. Um, especially, I mean, yeah, your main character is, we talked about this last, last week with like silent protagonists and the badass Mm -hmm. and the chosen one. Your main character is all of those tropes in one. And he's like 13. So how old did, how old do we all think the main trio is? Young enough to be considered kids. Yes. So they're children. 14, 15. By, by the. I was expecting there to be a time jump before I was declared leader of all, but there's no time jump. I'm I'm a boy king and I have a castle and people are willing to give me entire troops to command. So Ryu is 16, according to um, the Suikoden okay. fandom wiki. That's older than I thought. So, I mean, 16, like, this is medieval times. Like, there are... Sure, yeah. And Nanami's actually supposed to be older than you. Not that she acts... Yeah. She's probably, like, 18, 19, I don't know. But, like, six... The ages don't bother me. Like, this is... If this is... If you think of, like, uh, middle ages, like, there are plenty of 16-year-olds. Yeah, I mean, it doesn't... It's not something that bothers me. It's more just... It's part of my own sense of expectations about how I should be perceiving story beats and mm-hmm. how seriously I should take the stakes, basically. Like, are we are we looking at Ash Ketchum here or are we looking at Daenerys Tar- Targaryen? You know, like there's there's a slight difference in age there, but it's meaningful. A lot can happen between 13 and 16, you know? So after the child soldier sequence, did you guys, did you both wait for Joey outside with Nanami? Yeah, of course. Did you like sit there waiting? Because mm-hmm. you can choose to go inside and if you do, you miss out on like one of my favorite moments in the game. So I was thinking about that and I've been thinking about um, The Sopranos a lot recently because I'm always thinking about The Sopranos and there's a scene in the, there's like a, a like a running thing in The Sopranos that um, when the FBI tries to flip you, they let you back out on the street right away. So you're only gone for like 24 hours. Or you're only gone for a day because they don't want people to suspect anything and they want you to just like get right back on your feet. And I was thinking about that and how it's it's always left unsaid, but Joey like is captured and then yeah. let to go out, left to go right away. And he like can't explain how he got out. He's just mm-hmm. like, oh yeah, I surprised them. Um, and how that is kind of subtly showing you even right then and there in this emotional moment that like, oh yeah, he's going to betray you. He was like, he, he turned on you right then and there. They flipped him. They flipped him guys. So yeah, to sort of complete the loop on the idea here I, of, of watching children perform Shakespeare, I don't mean to suggest that this story is operating with the thematic complexity of Shakespeare, but I do think that it's operating with quite a bit of complexity. And I agree, Maddie, that there are a lot of tropes at play. And there's definitely just, you know, a lot of the tropes are sort of tired. They especially feel tired now because they've been tropes for another 20 years. But I have a sense they were probably tired then as well, even if fewer people were tired of them. Mm -hmm. And, you know, so it's, it's got that issue. But if I think of this as a piece of music, it's not a composition where there's a lot of, like, rich complex harmony. It's more that there are a bunch of strong melodies all happening 
arranged in a very careful way. And that's kind of cool. Like each character, it's kind of one note. And we even call characters one note, right? So it's mm-hmm. like a melody, a single note thing. It's not a lush chord with a bunch of instruments playing it. It's one note. But there are a bunch of one note characters and they're actually arranged very carefully. And in that scene where the city state leaders are all talking, you start to see them all bouncing off of one another and get a sense of like, oh, okay, this is pretty complicated. This world as it exists is complicated. And then I mentioned this before, but I think that the best thing that this game is doing so far is implying or imparting a sense of history to me as a player. And that's really where it's becoming interesting. Because even there, again, kind of one note, the whole story of your adoptive grandfather and the duel and the foreshadowing there and all of that, it's all very trope-laden and very simple, but it further complexifies this world. And it does make me feel like, okay, this is cool. Like, there's all this history with these people and their ancestors. You know, there's a smaller history with me and my sister and our family and our upbringing. And they're working with these interlocking single note, one note parts in ways that in a way that I actually think is pretty cool and was unusual, I'm sure, at the time and still feels kind of unusual for the kind of complexity they're going for. It's just it is a shame or, you know, it's it's a little frustrating that it's both so tedious. There's so much micromanagement, so many menus, so much of that JRPG nonsense. It's better than FF6. It's a generation later, but still fairly, fairly tedious. And also just, yeah, it is unfortunate that it's presented with this translation, with this localization that is at times just so childish and mm-hmm. so just even tropier. I mean, it's like tropey characters. And then the dialogue is just totally like what I have the one line written down. It's goodbye, big brother. You're not my big brother anymore. Goodbye, Jowie. Like people just deliver these lies that are just real yeah. stinkers just over and over and over. Yeah. Well, I think that that to me reads like something that in Japanese would be a lot more. So, I mean, the way this game is localized was it was like one guy with a spreadsheet over like oh, yeah. a tiny period of time. I don't blame that person, whoever they are, for what it's worth. I'm sure they I, were very yeah, tired. It's just, yeah, I can't even imagine. And it's just like like Excel sheets, you don't even know the context of what you're what you're actually translating. Um, yeah, I mean, I think I guess maybe it's just because I grew up playing so many of these games. I my brain is kind of filters out the bad dialogue and just learns to read like the emotional tone or what it's supposed to no, be. No, for saying. sure, mm-hmm. I totally understand um, one so, being able to do that. I yeah. think you get used to it, um, and it's definitely a lack of literacy I have. Like, I mm-hmm. there's so many things about this game that I'm like, this isn't. I mean, it's why I haven't even talked about the battles at all because. They seem pretty well designed for a thing I don't like, and that's fine. (laughs) We can get into that in a sec, but Kirk, I want to respond to one thing, which is to your point about it being this world, I think that's the biggest appeal of the series. And um, I didn't want to get into it too much because I know you guys are never going to play another sea coding game, but like all five of the main ones, they're all set in the same world and they're all like developing the same story and lore that one of the reasons I compared to Game of Thrones is because like in one, in the first game, something might be mentioned. In fact, Jousting is mentioned like almost by passing. There's like a scene where the Jousting army comes and attacks you. And then so it's so cool to then get to go to Jousting. And then in Suikoden 2, as another example, there's a character who you will recruit way at the end of the game, um, random optional character named George Prime. And he's like this super badass soldier, um, has no story whatsoever. He just kind of appears. Um, And then Richmond, the private investigator who you can recruit and then you can use to find out facts about all of your characters, which is a very fun. By the way, I love that there's just 
a hard-boiled PI. Yeah, hard-boiled PI in oh, his yeah. trench coat oh, yeah. with like well, jazz I mean, music playing. There's you have Dracula, right? So you got yes, yes, yeah. so you liberate you your castle the, yeah. from Dracula. Yeah. So okay, so I guess you, you use can Richmond. love that. I don't. I <laughs> I'm using love kind of loosely, Maddie. <laughs> Drives me insane. You but use okay. Richmond to investigate George Pym, and at one point it'll be like, I heard he killed a queen. Cut to Sweet Code in Five, which is set 15 years before Sweet Code in Two, and tells okay. the whole story of George Prime killing a queen. So, like, these games just like build on each other so much, and like, so many different random throwaway things will just lead to other things in the games. And that is one of the things that is just tremendous about them. But you have to be super invested. Um, I want to talk about recruiting characters real quick because that to me has always been an incredibly fun part of this game. It's like you see a new character with a portrait and it's like, oh, this guy is important. Like, am I going to get him on my side? Um, Maddie, what do you make of that as someone who has played like a little bit of Pokemon? Are you enjoying that aspect of the game or have you not really gotten to it enough? Don't even phrase a question that way. You're just going to be sad. You can't tell until you talk to people whether they have a portrait or not. So really, if I were playing this game the exploratory way that that 13-year-old or 12-year-old Jason Schreier may have played it, I'd have to talk to everyone. And for a little while, I was trying to do that. There are some unique sprites for the people that have portraits. Jason, I'm not going to be able to tell that. Okay, fine. Fair enough. Just. Generally, they look pretty distinctive. <laughs> if you see someone, you can I mean, generally sure. Tell. But there are also just a lot of people in this game, and some of them it's will true. tell you. I think the item shop's over there, and some of them will tell you, "Have you seen what's in the item shop?" And some of them will tell <laughs> you, "Oh, I really got ripped off at the item shop." Like it's in it is making me crazy, and it it is why <laughs> I can't talk to everyone in this game anymore, and I've. I've given up on it and I've decided that I, I can no longer do that if I'm going to sustain the emotional fortitude necessary. So now I just know which characters I need to talk to. And that changes things very slightly for me, but I still don't feel like there's each story is, I mean, they can't be deep enough because there's 108 of them. So it's always going to be a really short interaction. And some of them are kind of cool, but some of them are really short or just like, weird but not in a funny way I don't know I mean this is another thing about the first five hours that I was really struggling with where I was like if the whole game is me talking to different 108 different people for roughly five minutes I I'm going to go insane but then eventually I was like okay I need to not care about all these other people I need to care about Jowie and Ryu and Nanami and kind of focus on them and focus on like Victor and Flick and just kind of think about them as my like you know Cloud Strife and Tifa and so on and and these other people are just little sprinkles on the cupcake, and I'm not supposed to feel like I need to care about them all. So, okay, so there's a <laughs> rhythm that you'll get into after this point that we've just reached, which is you, you're in the castle, you are sent on a story mission, you go out, you go on the story mission, maybe you talk to people in the new town, and you, maybe you find some new recruits there. After mm-hmm. the story mission, you come back to base and then you have some downtime and you can go back to old towns and look to see if new people have shown up. And sure. part of the fun is like stumbling upon like these new cutscenes or like trying to figure right. out and then like you can the also... three houses of it all. I mean, this is why uh-huh. I really liked Fire Emblem Three Houses, where you go yes. back to the period of the game where you talk to every single character uh-huh. and you get uh-huh. unique dialogue. Like I do like when games do this and I care. So, about and then it. there's more. <laughs> well, and then there's like mini games in the castle and character development that you'll see. And I think you will start to enjoy it more after this point that we've all reached. So I, I am so. curious to hear your, your take 
the next time, the next we'll time see. we get back to Kirk, this. say something positive. Talk about how it's a, a piece of music again. That was great. I okay. loved that. Um, it's well, so I've for some of my own thoughts on on recruitment, it's stressful at first. And I think that's because I'm playing it wrong, like we're playing it a little bit wrong because yeah. we kind of I don't Jason, this wasn't you exactly. It's just it's just the knowledge of the game and everybody knowing that you can get this ending by collecting 108 characters. There's a great conversation, by the way, in the Triple Click Discord just generally about this game. It's been a lot of fun. And I've seen this voiced by a few different people. The idea that it's just a little stressful knowing that you can miss characters. Yeah. During those opening hours, it is. but only you guys are already past that. Yeah, yeah, I know. It's not that it's practically important. It's not that we can miss a million characters. It was that I knew there were a couple we could miss, but it wasn't totally clear. Jason, you wrote some wonderful tips for us, but I, I wasn't like referencing them constantly. That there's really mm-hmm. only two that you can miss: that Clive conversation, and then what's his name Gilbert. on the battlefield, Gilbert, and like. And even he is just like the computer is probably just going to You pretty him much just you. get him. Yeah. So knowing that is is cool. I was more stressed out about it than I needed to be. So like I was saying, I think that was just kind of a wrong-footed way to go into the game is being like, "Oh god, I have to get everybody. Oh no, like I triggered a cutscene just now. Does that mean oh no, like Toto burned down? Does that mean that I missed the guy who was there, which I had a whole oh, panic no. about because then oh, that no. guy turns up later, so I'm googling frantically like, "Can you miss whatever his name is, the the guy who's in the town?" Like Zamza or something. Zamza, yeah. yeah. So like that was on me. Again, that's, I think, just sort of like I went into it with a little bit of the wrong mentality. If I had just been like, there's two people you have to get in the opening hours. Don't worry about everything else. That would have been less stressful. Mm-hmm. Um, I think in general, it's these characters are not as strong individually as the characters in, say, Final Fantasy VI to pick a comparison from last year. Um, you know, each character just isn't as well defined. But that's not the point of the game. And I think it's actually kind of interesting and more modern that it's this story of pulling together a whole bunch of people. And it's like a tale of, of revolution that's actually more relevant in its thematic content to an actual revolution. Or I guess mm-hmm. this kind of a revolution. This is like you're fighting off an overwhelming force because you have to actually build a coalition and get all kinds of different people and everyone needs to pitch in and risk something and help fight together. That's a cool narrative. And a lot of those people are jerks and you have to kind of learn to deal with that, yeah. Or just weirdos. It's a cool narrative and it stands in contrast to the like, a few superheroes will save us, the rest of us can just do our thing, which is just like not really very accurate and a little bit more tired. So I like that they're doing that. And again, it is kind of like you're assembling, you know, there are more of these single notes. Each of them is a kind of a one note character. A lot of them are very shallow interactions. You literally just like help a guy up off the street and buy him breakfast and then he joins you and maybe that's Mm -hmm. the end of it. I'm keeping that guy in my party. I've decided he's awesome. I've, I like that guy. Or I just I go and shake a tree and a little guy falls out of it and he joins me. <laughs> okay, something I recommend is experimenting with a bunch of people in your party because some of them are hilarious and have funny animations. The animations in combat are great. Mm-hmm. The animations are great. Don't worry about people being under leveled because the level system is really good and it'll yes. like ca- yeah. keep people get people up really fast. Um, just like three battles and all all of your party members will be on the same footing. Um, something else that I think as you recruit, as you guys play more and now that you have the castle, you'll appreciate is that like recruiting isn't just like getting these people and then you can use them in battle. They'll also give you like open up these shops in your castle and open up like give you mini games and stuff. And there's one that you guys will soon discover. There is a cooking mini game, which is generally considered one of the highlights yes. of this game. I've heard that about you guys this. will really enjoy. Mm-hmm. And 
too. It's yeah. got an entire storyline that is extremely enjoyable that I think you guys will enjoy. And that's part of the fun is that like as you discover this rhythm, again, the rest of the game, it's so interesting. The part you guys played, that's like a classic JRPG rhythm, but the entire rhythm changes from now on because you're constantly going back to your headquarters. And so you have this base of operations, like you mentioned, three houses, where mm-hmm. like every time you go back, you'll be like, oh, I can check the suggestion box. Oh, I should go see if any of these characters want to talk to me and say anything interesting. Oh, I should go see if there's a new opponent uh, for the cooking battle, for the cooking contest. Oh, maybe I could do that. And that I think you guys will enjoy. Um, so, yeah, you've gotten part past the bad part of the game. and now yeah, you're Well, I mean, it's not the bad part. I think that it works in the context of the pacing <laughs> over of like the long pacing of the game because... I think they're very effective at communicating this sense of persecution and rootlessness um, through the beginning. Like you're constantly being chased out of wherever you are and it's exhausting and kind of like, oh my God, really? Like we just arrived here and here's friggin' Luca Blight again, like to burn the whole place down and we're under attack again and we have to run and run and run and you keep getting rooted out of wherever you were. And uh-huh. it seems clear that this is meant to be an exhausting setup to, okay, finally we have a toehold. We have this castle. Let's build yeah, this thing up and let's like wall. smack that guy and beat him and win. And like, I, I get that. I can see that pacing even though I've only played this first part of it. So that makes sense to me. Even now, I wouldn't call that the bad part of the game just because of that. Yeah, there's other <laughs> things about it that are sort of tedious, but but that's not, I don't have a huge problem yeah. with that. The thing that I find tedious is the dungeons. I think the dungeons are pretty poorly They're designed unremarkable and monotonous. And, yeah. um, Maze-like, uh, one, but not in a fun way. No, yeah. yeah, yeah, I just, uh, just kind of classic bad. Sindar Ruins is just like gray just, rock. Like that really one sucks. sucks. They just yeah. remind me of FF6 and like yeah. the numbers of times there were similar dungeons. I But to, to sort of speak to um, just the pacing of it, the only reason I disagree with you, Kirk, is because I feel like the game really has a villain problem up until Jowie betrays you. And mm. after that, I was interested. But Luca Blight is so one note as oh, a yeah. villain that I was really bored by him. And that was another reason why I was like, this game's going to be a tough hang for me if we don't get something more interesting going on than just a stone cold sociopath who simply loves blood and loves to kill. And loves killing. He's, Dude he's loves here because he loves killing so much. He and loves killing. Like the torture scene, I thought was an example of bizarre tone whiplash where he like makes the woman crouch and oink like a pig and then kills her. I was like, this is not, I don't know. I wasn't impressed. <laughs> I feel like I, that was the part of the game where I was still struggling. And I was like, I don't know what this game is trying to achieve tone wise. And I, it doesn't feel even to me. But then once I got to the Jowie thing, I was at least like, okay, this is a story about a specific friendship and like this history that Ryu has, the player character has with his own family. And like, he's sort of predestined to be in the situation, but it's tragic because this was his friend, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. I can, I can follow that story. But up until that point, I was just like, I don't care. <laughs> it's so funny. Just like with Six, I love the tonal whiplash. The, well, the thing that I find effective is I don't see Luke of Light as an effective character. He's just an avatar of Highland. And Highland, mm-hmm. as this abstract force that is just constantly at your doorstep, pushing you and pushing you and pushing you. I think that sure. that pacing-wise works well. But I agree. And I think that scene is like really fucked up. I was like, wow. <laughs> you know, yeah. like Luke of Light just seems like 
yeah, he's like the most evil jerk ever. It like becomes almost comedic, which is like definitely not what they're going for, but it's like so wrapped around. No, it's it, kind of what they're going but for. But I do think that as an avatar for this unstoppable force that's just chasing yeah. you, he's kind of whatever. Like I don't care about his character at all, but I do find it effective to just feel like you're constantly under pressure from this powerful, you know, unstoppable army. Yeah. So like, why do you think Dracula's in the game? Just like to have more female characters be um, brutalized, or like, what? What are you guys thoughts on this <laughs> well, leading so question? He's, I he's kind of like, you. yeah. I mean, he's kind of a running series joke because he's in the first okay. game, and then it's just like a silly, it's dumb, silly thing. It's like, oh, actually, that was his doppelganger, and then yeah. Uh, Okay, for the record, I actually thought it was a really cool pre-Dracula that this game was Game of Thronesy in the sense that it is almost devoid of magic and magic is just sort of almost like this grounded thing that everybody has and it's like as unspoken as the fact that anyone can theoretically learn how to sword fight and this isn't a mystical thing like Luca Blight isn't possessed by a demon sure you and and Jowie find some magic rocks or whatever but like it and it's a chosen one story but it's not like Tara I mean I thought that story was cool but I liked that the story was doing something really different with that and was like more Game of Thronesy in terms of its implementation of magic as more of a strategic thing alongside the rest of the grounded in reality aspects of the world building. But then Dracula was in the game, and I was like, I don't know what's it's going not, on. It's not important. Next word is not I, significant. I just, in the but, game. Well, but you, you just, can't just say that, Jason. It's like a huge fight. But it wasn't a huge fight. It was barely. He was barely there. Well, you know what I mean. There's like a whole beautiful cutscene. Like Dracula's like in there, man. They really lavished some care on Dracula. Go ahead, Kirk. <laughs> well, just to interject, I think I understand what you're saying, Jason. Maddie, I certainly understand what you're saying. Yes. <laughs> so far, I do appreciate that this is largely just a story of a kingdom where there is some magic. Mm-hmm. I I have known other JRPGs to do this as well, and I'm assuming that by the end of this, we're going to be in some alternate dimension fighting God, but I don't know. Maybe we won't be. Um, I'm going to assume crossed. that it tends to be these things start out pretty grounded, and then in a JRPG, there just comes a point where they're like, and now, sure. oh, there's huge monsters, and you're going to go fight deities. But yeah. um, the Dracula thing did seem to me like one of these things that is sort of weirdly typical to JRPGs of this era, where they're just like, okay, and now, but something different, and we're going to do a thing with Dracula. Okay, end yeah. of the Dracula part, and now you have a castle, and we're kind of back to it. And mm-hmm. like, it doesn't make it work. Like, it's weird. It just sort of sticks out. But it is kind of typical of the era. Yeah, it reminds me of the ghost train part of FF6 that I also had a similar problem with. There you go. The ghost train is a great comparison. So, but this is like the the context here it's part of the world building right in the first game you fight him victor comes with you there's a storyline about mm-hmm. how he killed he raised victor's village and killed victor's wife he meets this then, cool sword who's snarky and tells jokes yeah you meet the I sword i love the sword uptight so the sword again this is all from the first game yeah, so it's kind of sure. just sword. continuing that story anyway we are just about out of time <laughs> Um, but I have so many more things to complain about. No, I'm kidding. I don't. I loved all the battling. It was so good. We will revisit. <laughs> we will be back with part two of our Suikoden 2 triple play a little bit later. We'll we'll provide an update on timing in the future. In the meantime, let's take a break, and we'll be back with one more thing. Hi, I'm Biz. And I'm Teresa. And we're the hosts of One Bad Mother, a podcast about parenting. Parenting is hard. And we have no advice, but we do see you doing it. Talk if you like to do it. (laughs) 
Didn't we have a bumper sticker a while back that was like, yeah. honk if you did it? That's what it I was. I think it was honk if you're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Why did we not ever make this? Those we are did make them. I did think we? they're still in the Max Fun store. <laughs> honk, honk. You're doing it. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, Biz. So are you. Each week, we'll be here to remind you that you're doing a good job. You can find us on MaximumFun.org. Honk, honk. Toot, toot. I listen to Bullseye because Jesse always has really good questions. What did John Malkovich wear when he was 20? (laughs) I don't know how to describe it. There's always that moment where Jesse asks a question that the person he's interviewing has not thought of before. I don't think anyone's ever said that to me or acknowledged that to me, and that is so real. Bullseye, interviews with creators you love and creators you need to know. From MaximumFun.org and NPR. And we are back for one more thing. Maddie Myers, what's your one more thing other than complaining about Sue <laughs> No, I'm done with that. Now I just want to talk about this Netflix show called Murderville that yes. is so funny. Okay, so the premise of the show is that Will Arnett is an uh, investigator, a detective for the police. What's his name? Like Tommy Seattle? Is that his Tommy name? Seattle. Yeah, Detective <laughs> Seattle. And... It's it's a comedy and, you know, most it's it just sounds like I'm describing a scripted sitcom about uh, Will Arnett playing a, a comedy comedic detective role. But Terry Seattle. Sorry. It's Terry. Seattle, <laughs> Every single episode better. they bring on either a comedian or just a very funny person um, who's good at improv to play the new recruit, the new partner of Detective Seattle, and that person hasn't seen the script, doesn't know the circumstances <laughs> of the murder, because there's a murder in every single episode, has to name the murderer based on all of the clues that are presented for them by the various actors who do know the script and do know the clues that they need to reveal in each of their conversations. And that person just has to improv their way through each scene and try to keep up. And it's so funny. I feel like I laughed out loud every five seconds at every single episode yes. and I love all of them and there are only six of them and I think that's messed up and there should be more episodes <laughs> of Murderville and I hope it gets renewed because it's a brilliant premise and a fun subversion of the proliferation of procedural detective shows which I didn't think it was possible to subvert that but they have done it and Will Arnett so good. So I funny. love this show. Um, Emily and I have been watching it as well. It is great. It's so light and funny and just silly. Yes. And I recommend that about it. Just It's just very, very silly. But also, you can solve the mysteries. And it's kind yes, of like... Yes, I love that. If you ever read Encyclopedia Brown, it reminds yep. me of Encyclopedia Brown mysteries because they're very clear. Like, this same woman comes in every episode and she's the, like, Emmy and she lays mm-hmm. out the clues for you. And you have to pay close attention. And then they go and interview the suspects, and you can totally solve it. We've we've watched a few episodes. We've solved some. We've missed some. The first episode made it clear, oh, okay, so we can try to solve this. And that's been a fun wrinkle on top of it is to try to solve this wacky murder mystery. But yes, I, I co-sign it. This is a wonderful oh, show. Oh, man, I can't wait to watch this. I'm it's very excited. It's so, so funny. I can't believe it's only six episodes. That's so sad. Yeah. But it's for every single one of them a yep. priceless jam. Very good. Yeah, I'm very, very excited, very excited to watch that. Um, Kirk, you and I happen to have the same one more thing, so let's talk about it, shall we? You and I are both playing a whole lot of Horizon Forbidden West. Yes, which Maddie has also played. We're all playing early review copies of this game that Sony sent us. We're going to 
And we're going to do our triple play on the game next week. So we'll all have... And Kirk's already beaten it twice. Is yeah. that right? I've played a lot. I've played like... <laughs> this is a long game. I've played like 50 hours or something. I am I think I'm about to start the final story mission. Though I there's wow. a lot of side stuff in this game that's all pretty much feels like story stuff too. So it's kind of... There's a lot of great side content as well in this game. How far am I? I told you the quest I'm at. Am I like halfway through or less or more? Uh, you're like halfway, a little more than halfway maybe through the story. Okay. The thing is, I would say that this is just kind of a 50 to 60 hour game where you could then play another 10, 15 hours on top of pretty cool side stuff. But like, I would just describe it as that you length. You can play a lot more than 10, 15 hours. You can play 10, 15 hours alone on the board game. <laughs> <laughs> okay, yeah, that's true. That's true. Game. And I haven't played much Strike. Um, <laughs> let me, can I give some, some impressions? I wrote down some bullet points. Yeah, please. So we're going to talk about this a lot next week and we don't have a ton of time. Um, here's, here are my takes or my like bullet points, things I just wanted to share th- this week. It's really good and I like it a lot. I think it's just a really, really good game. Like it's a winner. Me too. I love it. I think mm-hmm. it's awesome. It rolls. Very fun. Yeah. People are really going to be psyched about it. It's really good. Um, I've been playing it on hard difficulty, which has been fun. Me too. I love that um, too. It pushes you to really use all of the new tools, the elemental damage the traps, though I just learned this. This game has good accessibility options, like Sony's games, to their credit, have recently. And you can do a custom difficulty. And if mm-hmm. I'd known that, I would have made it so that the monsters, or the robots, the machines, have a lot of health, but Aloy's health is just normal, because she's a little squishy on hard at first, because it's an RPG and you have to level up, and I found that a little frustrating. Now, oh, at this point in the game, hard is just great. It's like a super fun challenge, or at least I really like it, but there's a lot of difficulty options. Mm-hmm. Plus, you can change it whenever. I mean, it's easier which is to so nice. know how to level yes. up and which skills you want to yes. pick if you're already on hard, but yeah. Mm-hmm. And there have been times where I've just been like, whatever, this story sequence just isn't fun on hard. There's no reason to play this on hard, and I'll just kick it down to normal, play through the story sequence, go back to hard. It's very nice that it lets you do that. Um, I have a button remapping tip for anyone to, planning to play it. I recommend trying this anyways. Remap dodge to R1, the light melee attack to square, and crouch to circle. R1 dodge, Square, melee, circle, crouch. The story, we're not going to say anything about the story. The story is really spoilable. So, like, try to play it unspoiled because there's, like, major moments in the story. Really cool stuff. There's a lot of it. Yeah, there's a lot of writing, a lot of dialogue, a lot of acting. So much dialogue. And, like, there have just been so many moments in the story where I've been, like, playing the game and I'm like, what? Like, a, a huge thing happens. And it's been a real pleasure to play it completely unspoiled. And there will be things that we're just going to start People are just going to start seeing and are going to get spoiled. So, like, try to avoid spoilers. And we'll be pretty light on spoilers next week. Um, And then what's the other thing? Oh, I'm playing in performance mode. And you can kind of notice that the graphics aren't as good. I've seen some discussion about that. But it's worth it to play at 60 frames a second. It's so smooth. It's fine for me, and I greatly prefer 60 FPS. There are some people, though, who who prefer 30, who prefer the high-fidelity version. I will never understand that because it... it feels so good to play 60 frames. I think if you're playing on a 4K TV, it's it's even more noticeable. Mm. And I'm playing on a computer monitor. Yeah, so, yeah. I mean, I'm playing on a 1440 monitor, and it yeah. looks great in looks, performance mode. Yeah. Like, Especially after the day one patch. It was good. pretty buggy at first, but that's the review yes. copy they sent us, and it has been patched. Yes, it was buggy. I don't know how many of those bugs still exist. I did mention it. It's them. still a little buggy. I've had a crash since that, so it'll be. Yeah. I'm sure it'll get some patches post-release. Especially when you use there are these new abilities called Valors that are basically like limit yeah. breaks. You just toggle them, and you can get some cool power the or ult. something. And those are so buggy. Like, the camera has just, like, clipped all over the place, and I use <laughs> 
That's um, funny. And yeah, a lot of camera camera bugs. Definitely a game that was made during COVID. You can you can tell that this is a game made during the pandemic. Yeah. Um, yeah, I also really really enjoy it. Um, I just will never get sick of the feeling of like drawing back a bow and firing at a robot dinosaur and watching the glowing weak point and mm-hmm. watching the component come off or like yeah. seeing the health get, get knocked yeah. down. I've decided to slow down time this playthrough. Oh, as good, last time. Oh. I've, she I'm noticed that you don't have to unlock that ability this yeah, time. Yeah, I appreciate yeah. Yeah, a I've lot been deciding of the to go ahead and use that the whole game. So that's really changed things for me a lot. Yeah. <laughs> so it's so interesting. So it feels like they've really just gone through a list of like problems in the first game or things they could have done better in the first game. Like the skill tree is totally revamped and super good. That's huge um, now. The the crafting system, you can like set jobs and like set your own yeah. quest to like go find things that you need to upgrade mm-hmm. your pouch or whatever. Mm-hmm. There's a lot of stuff that's just melee is improved. The stash, like, you have like an inventory stash, which yes. is so yes. nice yes. compared yeah, yeah, to yeah. the first stash. Magically transported from town to town. Yeah. Very convenient. The animations are much better. But the one thing that they didn't do is they didn't make it easier to just pick things up. You have to run around and just press triangle every time you see something to pick it up and I wonder about that that's clearly a deliberate choice at this point and I guess it like would make it less less interesting less satisfying if you're just running around and like vacuuming every piece of Mm -hmm. medicinal herb you see Um, but it is still interesting that they added that they have this like tedious thing from the first game that is carried on to the second game where you just have to run around smashing triangle yeah it's an interesting friction Um, point and that you can like unlock an ability that lets you pick up more health things each time but uh-huh. you still do have to do it after you still a fight. have to get them yeah it's not a yeah. terrible ritual after a massive fight with like a building sized robot to go around and re- refill your health and just sort of catch your breath it's definitely but, i can see why they wanted it in there because yeah. yeah it can it can be peaceful in that kind of like animal crossing like stardew valley way where de- doing tedious Skyrim tasks can be good yeah comforting um and then the other thing and this really drives me crazy is that when you sneak up behind someone, you get the silent strike like prompt, and you have mm-hmm. to press one R one to do a silent strike. But at least ten times, I've gotten in a position where like the the something the prompt goes away for a second. You hit R one, and it's just a regular yes. attack. And happens to me can, all the time and drives me yeah, crazy. <laughs> God, and that was like a problem in the first game. Zero too. out of ten. <laughs> yeah, it was a problem in the first game too, and I I can't believe that they haven't yeah. figured out a way to fix that. It yeah, sucks. that that drives me crazy. But pretty minor um, complaint. But yes, it yeah. is consistently annoying. <laughs> yeah, minor complaint. And I also, I almost don't want to do that because, like, the bow and arrow combat and just, like, dodging around. I just fought this huge, um, like, uh robot. That was so much fun. Um, um, so you're fighting this giant robot and just like setting traps, running around the arena, like circling him, strafing, dodging, shooting arrows into him every time I got a chance. It is just so much fun. Like there are very few games that I've enjoyed the combat as much as I enjoy in Horizon and especially in, in Forbidden West, which I think is even better. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we'll talk about it a lot more next week, but um, yeah, it's it's a, it is a real winner. I'm very, very impressed with it. Like, Definitely it's a, a winner. It's a wonderful game. Um, mm-hmm. Okay. Thank you guys very much for playing through Seagun and 2. Enjoy, enjoy hey, playing the We're rest just getting of it. started. Not over yet. <laughs> <laughs> and thank you to all the listeners for listening and supporting our show. We will be back next week. Don't forget, Yellow Jackets Beans Cast is up this week. So go become a member and you can listen to that. As for you two, I will see you both next week. Yeah, see you next week. Bye. Triple Click is produced by Jason Schreier, Maddie Myers, and me, Kirk Hamilton. I edit and mix the show and also wrote our theme music. Our show art is by Tom DJ. 
Some of the games and products we talked about on this episode may have been sent to us for free for review consideration. You can find a link to our ethics policy in the show notes. Triple Click is a proud member of the Maximum Fun Podcast Network, and if you like our show, we hope you'll consider supporting us by becoming a member at MaximumFun.org join. Find us on Twitter at TripleClickPod, send email to TripleClick at MaximumFun.org, and find a link to our Discord in the show notes. Thanks for listening. See you next time. MaximumFun.org. Comedy and culture. Artist owned. Audience supported.